Hey, welcome to the newest episode of The Adoption Files. Today, it is my pleasure to speak with Elle Kordig. She is the author of the book, The Tangled Red Thread. She also took part in the adoptee anthology, The Adoptee Survival Guide. She has a blog under Elle Kordig, and she is going to talk with us today about uh, her pursuit of her adoption documents. She will be using her pen name and uh, the pseudonyms that she used in her book. So, hello, Elle, how are you today? I am doing very well, Andy. Thank you. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. It's a nice overcast day here. Is it not where you are? It's always overcast here. <laughs> I, live, I live in the Pacific Northwest and it's always raining. Oh, I'm jealous. That is why, um, you know, we have the highest coffee consumption. Oh, okay. That's why? Mm -hmm. That's, I'm, I don't know. I think I just made that up. It's but not it like the highest there. vodka consumption. Well, I, it, there there could be other beverages included. Okay, mm -hmm. all right. As a non-coffee drinker, you coffee people are are a mystery to me. Okay, <laughs> you yeah. don't know what you're missing. <laughs> oh, I do. That's why I don't drink it. Okay. <laughs> so you That's were fine. born. So you were born and raised in Tacoma, Washington. Okay, so now everybody knows where the rain and the clouds are all the time. Yes, this is where it is. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so now did you grow up knowing that you were adopted? Yes, I first heard the word adoption and actually paid attention when I was about five years old. My adopted parents, um, who were salt of the earth kind of people, just really wonderful people, um, they adopted three kids there were two boys and then there was me. Um, and I remember I was about five years old and my adopted mother said something about some baby being adopted and I wanted to know what that meant. And so she told me that meant that the person who had the baby couldn't take care of it and so the mother gave the baby to someone else as another mother. And she said it much better than I just tried to explain. Um, but then I said, am I adopted? Because I thought, well, that sounds really cool and different. And she said, yes. And I was, I was floored. I didn't think she was going to say yes. <laughs> I thought yeah. she was going to say, no, of course not. Stop talking silly. But she said, yes. And that's when I found out that I was adopted. Okay. So you were old enough to understand that it meant you became a part of the family in a different way. Right. Exactly. And then, so, and you were a private adoption? Yes. Um, my Adopted parents had a doctor, a family doctor, who also was um, uh, an obstetrician, and um, he would facilitate <laughs> or secure babies who were being relinquished and, you know, give them to another one of his patients who were looking for babies through adoption. And in the 1960s, which was the zenith for 
adoptions, um, it was not uncommon once you were kind of in the, you know, I can't think of the right word right now, in the, in, in the pipeline, you know, you were, once they knew that you, you know, completed your home study or whatever, and you were approved to be adopted parents, that you would sometimes even get phone calls out of nowhere from a doctor or an adoption agency or a lawyer saying, you want another? Oh, wow. we, have, we have a nice, we have a nice little boy here. Um, and so, you know, I was the third one. And so my adopted parents knew only that the, the doctor was going to contact them if he had a girl available, because after my two brothers, my mother, who had originally wanted six boys. Oh, that's a lot of tests. After my two brothers, she said, no more boys. Only call me if you have a girl. <laughs> uh, so, so you and then, you kind of fit the chosen narrative. To well, extent, it, yes. And then, of course, we have to temper that with the fact that she stopped adopting altogether after me. Oh, well, there was, you, you were perfect. So, she didn't need to be. Oh, is that the reason? Because yes. I was perfect. You Thank you, Andy. Thank you. For you. That's that true. must have been it because yeah. I was perfection. Yeah. That must have been it. Anything so, more would be a disappointment after that. So. Oh, that's right. Everybody would just pale in comparison. Yep. But yeah. My, uh, my adopted parents uh, were both Scandinavian. My father came from Norwegian immigrants and my mother came from Swedish immigrants. Um, and they decided that to help us fit in and make us seem more cohesive, like we were meant to be together, that they only wanted children with some Scandinavian background. And come to find out in all my sleuthing that I'm the only one that's actually Scandinavian at all. We'll see, that's what I meant by you were, you were, yeah, yeah you were it. That's so, all. Yeah. My, my brothers were supposed to be partner region or whatever, and they're not. I mean, there's zero. So, so I guess the either the either the birth mother didn't know what she was talking about or the doctor just outright lied. And I think it's probably the second one. So, so. how do you feel then about when you hear today this adoption industry language of um, building a family. I hate it. Okay. That just, it, re it makes my skin crawl. I get it. I, I wondered because it sounds like you were the sixties version of let's build a family. Let's, right. let's, you know, put our Legos together. And exactly. And the thing where I see the difference is that my parents, they went into it blind. They did, they did not have the information that's available now. Back then, they were all told, just love them and raise them right, and it will be just like having your own. And 
there was no reason for them to believe any different. Yeah. Because that is what the experts told them. And they were really good parents. So, you know, there should have been really no problems, you know, for the average person to be raised by these people, even if you're not genetically related to them. <clears throat> but nowadays, you, you just cannot say with, uh, with sincerity that, well, we didn't know. We thought that love would be enough. We thought that it's just another way to build our family because they have to know that's not true because so many of us are saying it's, it's bull. It's not possible. You well, can't, you can't just say, well, I'm just going to pick up this kid from wherever and give them my last name and love them enough. And that will make all the genetics go away. Well, and I think it's not possible. Yeah, and I think your upbringing is a really good illustration of that, because from what you're saying, you had kind of the ideal uh, upbringing as far as, you know, it wasn't kept a secret. It sounds right. like your adoptive parents were nice people. Right. They didn't treat you badly. Right. And, yet, and yet the desire to know where you came from and your identity and the feeling of being, you know, different because you were adopted, those things all still had an impact on your life. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I had, you know, these two older brothers and we all looked very different from each other. We acted very different from each other it didn't matter that we were being raised by the same people in the same house at the same time. We were just incredibly different people. And it, it, it was like, you know, oil and water trying to mix, you know, it just, it doesn't mix. It just was never going to happen. And then um, to make it worse was that my eldest so-called brother is, uh, he's, he's a psychopath. There's just no getting around it. You know, I, I used to call him a sociopath, but that's just an insult to the other sociopaths. He's really a psychopath. He's extremely violent and um, very, very disturbed and deranged. And he took it out on all of us. He took it out on everyone and so everything sorry. around him. And so the idea that, I was adopted into this wonderful family and I was saved from whatever it is people think I'm being saved from, like being raised by a single mother. It's, it's completely ludicrous because my, my birth mother was actually, she's a wonderful mother. And, and she sh would have been just fine raising me. It, it was just that in the early 60s, single white women just couldn't get away with raising a child on their own. You know, if she wasn't married, there was no way she could keep me. So um, I had this, you know, I was adopted into this wonderful family 
meaning my parents, but the baggage that came along with it was their first child who they were never going to give up on. You know, you hear nowadays sometimes about how adoptees are rehomed, they're sent back, they're disowned, whatever. Yeah. They never would do it. And I practically begged them to do it, that they just, they never would even consider it. This was their son. And so we were all stuck with this guy. And so people like to look at my family, people who knew my adopted parents, they think I'm so lucky. You know, they've said it to me. You were so lucky to be adopted by these people. And I'm thinking, yeah, and there's this one little thing. Well, and and I'm so sorry that that was what you grew up with and what you had to experience. I, I know that what I hear sometimes from people, and I'm sure this will sound familiar to you as soon as I say it, is, well, biological families have problems too. <clears throat> right. Yeah, I know. Except that that does that fails to acknowledge that, you know, he may right. have had problems in his family of origin. I bet the trauma of relinquishment and being raised in a foreign environment is another aggravating factor. It's like another layer of trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. Well. And then you guys are trying to deal with your trauma in addition to being traumatized. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's just a crazy scenario. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that had to take a long time for you to come to terms with, like to kind of figure out how to be in that family with an abusive sibling. Um, yeah, it never really went away. Um, I was the executor and the power of attorney for our adopted father. And um, he, my so-called brother, um, I called him Keith in the book. Keith did everything he could to interfere, to take over, and, you know, just make all of our lives a living hell. And this was just, I'm talking about five years ago. It wasn't like years and years ago. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's just legally, you know, he's still my brother, but that is in the, that's the only way that he is my brother. I get that. I can, yeah. I call my, I call my adoptive siblings, the people I was raised with. Yeah. And that's what I have called him. I have called him, you know, the, the one I was raised with, you know, the, the, my other adopted brother, John, I'm very close with. Um, my children think of him, of course, as their uncle. And um, I can't imagine not having him in my life, but it's just, it's amazing, you know, how, how deep this goes. Yeah, it's, it affects so many people. It does. Beyond, yeah, beyond just mm -hmm. ourselves. And I think that needs greater acknowledgement of just mm -hmm. how. Yeah, because people like, they only 
they like to hear about, you know, the rainbows and the unicorns and all the frou-frou, happy, happy, ever. it's a win-win. And then if you mention that, well, you know, I was raised with this psychopath who uh, was in every prison and group home in Washington state, then they say, well, you know, that's just an exception and you're, you're bitter. <laughs> I say, well, damn right. I am better. I think I have a reason to be better. Yeah, this, like is, this is my better life. This is a better life. That's I know. And it's like, you've suddenly become incapable of rational thought because yeah. you're angry or bitter or resentful and you yeah. have a good reason to be right. You know, yeah. and then you'll get the people that are just like, you just need to live in the moment and mm-hmm. it's all in the past. Oh and you're like, God. no, it's not in the past. It's still going on. Yeah. that Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that I'm sorry to hear. I, that had to be frightening and very. Well, it, he, he terrorized the entire family. He terrorized us on a daily basis. Any day that he was there, we were terrified. We were on constant uh, guard and we were at uh, risk of being attacked at any moment. And he often did so. And, you know, he is the reason why our adopted mother died at the age of 52. He is the reason. Oh, wow. He caused her so much stress that she had a massive stroke. Oh, that's so sad. And then um, years later, you know, my father, you know, found love again, thank God, and um, married again. And Keith was the reason why she left after 35 years of marriage, she left for her own safety. Oh, wow. And that in turn killed our father. So So, I can understand why you would be better. Yeah. Yeah. I can't understand anyone who thinks I shouldn't be bitter. He killed our parents. He killed them from his, you know, his constant stress and his campaigns against us so yeah i will never forgive him for that absolutely not oh it's a lot to carry i i there's one of the reasons why i'm sure some people wonder why you don't see my face on some of my things but one of the reasons is that we have found it necessary to um, keep our whereabouts from a family member. Yes. And uh, who also uh, has presented a danger to uh, my spouse and his siblings. Mm. And so I, my heart goes out to you because my husband was raised in a very abusive environment. Mm. And yeah, it sounds like you can really relate. You understand how it is. Yeah, unfortunately, it's and the and a family is held hostage by yes by the 
the most ill person in the environment. And exactly. Yeah. And the other members of the family's welfare often does not take first place. Right. Yeah. Because so much energy is invested in trying to deal with. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah. So I'm so sorry. Cause I know that that is so painful. Mm -hmm. And um, so, Mm -hmm. so on another note, was it any relief that you're not biologically related to this person? Oh, yes. Okay. So you can look at your kids and go, you're not related to that. Absolutely. So hopefully your mental health and your futures will not include this. I'm trying not to swear. Uh, Yes, uh, it's all right. (laughs) I'm like, we're trying to keep it. I have some pet names for him that we probably can't put in the podcast, but that's okay. Uh, Yeah. So, so then knowing that you were not related to him has been a relief. And Mm -hmm. then, so did all of this have any part in motivating you to seek out your first family, like this need to find something that's not so dysfunctional? Yes, very much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How old were you when you began that process? When I, I knew, I knew I would need to search by the time I figured out that it was even remotely possible. Um, I can't think of the age it was. I'm going to probably, I'm going to guess I was 11 or 12 because that is when my adopted mother had her first stroke was when I was 11 and it, it completely changed her um, into just a stranger. And I just felt more and more detached from my adopted family. And I knew that there was somebody out there that I could really relate to. I just knew it. And I was going to find them, but I just didn't know how. And then um, my adopted mother died two weeks before I started high school. And then it was while I was in high school that I heard about an organization in Washington state where I live called at the time it was called Washington adoptees rights movement warm. Now it's called Washington adoption reunion movement. Oh, okay. So I guess they, they wanted to make it sound more inclusive. So it wasn't just for adoptees. Um, But I knew as soon as I was able to, that I was going to search for my birth mother. And another compelling reason for me was that um, I wanted to marry at some point. And I had met the guy that I would end up marrying in high school. And you know, he wanted to have kids right away. And I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) um, I knew I could not, um, I couldn't justify, I couldn't bring a child into the world if I didn't know where I came from. I was not going to purposefully 
have a have a baby if I didn't know where I came from. And so as soon as I had enough money, at the time it was $175. Um, my boyfriend and I drove all the way up to Kirkland, Washington. Um, that's where Costco came from, by the way. I that's why it's that's why it's Kirkland brand. Okay. <laughs> um, so it's it's uh, as nor it's just east of Seattle, and we drove all the way up there, and I handed them one hundred and seventy-five dollars in cash, and filled out an application. And I was nineteen at the time, and the system that Warm uses. Um, that they, they developed in the mid-1970s is the confidential intermediary system. And I know a lot of people don't like that system because it takes the control away from the person who's searching and it gives it to a third party who can't tell them anything unless they have written consent. But back in the 70s and the 80s, that was all we had. We didn't have DNA. We didn't have open records. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have anything. I had nothing. There was no way for me to search without warm. And I was happy to give them my money and have them search for me. And they did a wonderful job. Uh, my confidential intermediary, um, she was very professional, but very kind. And um, it took a, quite a while, at least in my opinion, it took a long time because my records were lost. My, <laughs> my it's, it's my, on microfilm, you know, the actual records are all, were all put on microfilm at some point. And the role of microfilm with my records on it went to, I don't know, the black hole of Calcutta, it, they're gone. And so the only way they could search was to get a court order and to send the court order to Vital Statistics, which in Washington is the Department of Health. Okay. The Department of Health houses not just the all of the birth certificates, like my amended birth certificate, post-adoption, but also my pre-adoption original birth certificate. And those are housed separately. Well, and I guess it's good that they were separate so that they didn't get lost, maybe? Yeah. And they're not, I don't think even now that they're on microfilm, I think that it's just the physical copy for the original birth certificates. So back then, in the early 80s, when I was searching, there was no way for me to get my original birth certificate. Since 2014, adoptees who were born in Washington state can get their original birth certificate. It doesn't matter where they were adopted. If they were born in Washington state, they can uh, request their original birth certificate. So let me see if I have this straight. Okay. You, so you applied with the intermediary in mm -hmm. the 80s. You yeah. paid them a 
what was a lot of money at the time. People may not think that sounds like that much now, but holy Mm -hmm. cow, it was a lot of money back then. Mm -hmm. And you discovered that your non-identifying papers? No, it was, um, I didn't have any non-identifying. Non-identifying information goes along with agencies. And I didn't come from an agency. I came from a, a cranky old doctor. That's right. You know, he didn't keep any records. He had nothing. I even asked him and he didn't even, he didn't even keep track. When my birth mother visited him, he didn't write down (laughs) who this baby went to. It it didn't matter to him. He's just handing out babies. No, it it's, he was the, he was the go-between. That's all. He was just the go-between. And so since my adopted parents had been approved by the courts previously for my brothers, then when the doctor presented them with another baby, you know, that was all considered just fine because the doctor was trustworthy. So um, I went home with my adopted parents straight from the hospital. I was three days old and they took me home right from the hospital. One of, one of the nuns handed me, because it was a Catholic hospital, one of the nuns handed me to my adopted parents and said, take good care of her. And that was it. So this is what, so this is what is sometimes referred to as a gray market adoption. No, no, I don't think so. I, I don't, I don't consider mine to be gray market because what I consider gray market is when one of the parties giving or receiving believes everything's on the up and up, but the other side knows it's not. This was completely on the up and up. This was done through the courts. It was done through a a doctor who was recognized as an adoption facilitator. So this was, and there was a lawyer involved. My, my parents had a lawyer and they went to the court and they, uh, you know, when it was finalized, when my adoption was finalized, seven months later, they went to court and signed everything. And my adopt, my birth mother signed the relinquishment forms. It's just that the relinquishment forms are gone. (laughs) (laughs) They existed at one time, but they're, they're gone now. So I don't have that, but no, I, I know people who were gray market babies and that's usually with some of the shady um, uh, uh, maternity homes. There was one up in Seattle called, um, well, let me think. It'll come to me later. Okay. Bess something, Bess Gilroy. Bess Gilroy, good old Bess Gilroy up in Seattle. She actually would put ads in the paper for desperate women to come and stay with her and she would take care of everything. It was in the paper. I think I remember seeing advertising. I mean, not. Oh, yeah. And, and she was a nurse. This, this was in the 30s and 40s, basically, the 30s and the 40s. And she was right on a bus line. And women would get off the bus, walk into her place, and they could stay there and, like, clean or whatever, keep, you know, to help. And then they'd give birth. And then she would go to the courthouse and she would give all of the birth mothers and fathers, she would give them all the same names. Oh, wow. And so the 
original birth certificates in these cases, you're lucky if any of the information is correct. But any you, of it. And nobody at the courthouse went, wait. No, because I'm pretty sure that somebody at the courthouse was getting a kickback somewhere. That would make sense. Because they were paying her to keep all this quiet. And sometimes the birth mothers would insist that, no, just use my real name. But then she would make up a name for the father (laughs) and wouldn't even tell the mother. And just, you know, it was incredible. But anyway, so that's gray market because the adopted parents in those cases, they didn't know anything was wrong. Yeah. They thought this was a a legitimate uh, maternity home. And so they didn't, they didn't know. There's so much but shady stuff went on. There's a, there is a lot of shady stuff. There really is. And there are still agencies that I would consider shady because nowadays we shouldn't even need adoption. We should not need adoption like we're doing adoption now. I know. I, the fact that people are still promoting the myth that there are just millions <clears throat> of orphan children waiting to be adopted when right now there's like 50 couples to every right you know yeah and 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 we're all languishing on d don't forget we're languishing oh well (laughs) and if if that were the motivation behind adoption there would be no foster children who sit in foster care there you go they age out because that's right yeah Mm -hmm. so i've i've long ago it's all bs we know it is yeah it's this fiction that has to be maintained right right because because we're the commodity we're the product yes and anybody who says that it's not a commodity or all they have to do is look at the fact that economists factor in the adoption and surrogacy and um, donor industries as part of a state's gross product like oh, gross profit yeah. it's actually mm-hmm. counted in so i'm sorry that's a market yeah, I, I think it's south south dakota um they're one of their biggest cash crops are um the native american children oh that's disgusting who are who are taken oh that's so that's so I, isn't that just chilling it is and there's there's something seriously wrong with that oh absolutely I, people, the exploitation of the indigenous communities by the white community. I mean, it's predominantly, mm-hmm. let's face it, it's predominantly yeah. white people. Well, it's, we're on the top. We're the top horrific. of the heap. Yeah, it's horrific. And and people who say that it's not happening any longer because we no longer have the Indian schools are not right. aware of the way that the... Um, child protective services mm-hmm. and the foster yeah, it's just care. turned into foster care yeah and they yeah. they remove children at a higher rate from mm-hmm. indigenous families than they do from non-indigenous families and absolutely it's, absolutely yeah, it's horrifying and people should be pitching a fit about it mm-hmm. uh, i agree um so so then i want to make sure i'm understanding so you're pursuing your identity your papers you discover mm-hmm. that your papers are missing they've just mm-hmm. poof, gone they're just disappeared 
right so you're so the the confidential intermediary um yes right um well what washington um adoptees rights movement did at the time was that you know the client which would be me I would sign a petition, the, the CI would take it to the court where the adoption was finalized and um, get the records released only to them, not to me, just to them. And with that information, they would usually use the records at the DMV, whatever, find a marriage license, however they would search back then pre-internet okay since my records were gone (laughs) my records were gone so they had to take the court order and ask the uh, department of health for what records they had which are the original birth certificate which has my birth mother's name on it plus the adoption decree which had my last name only my original last name which was different from the original birth certificate because my birth mother was divorced so on the original birth certificate it's her maiden name is my last name and on the adoption decree um and in the whatever other adoption records, the petition to adopt, it's my birth mother's married, but former married name. Oh, so so I was confusing. under two different names. So that, that was confusing. Yeah. But they they wanted, what, what the CI was looking for was the original birth certificate to get my birth mother's name. Um, and anything else they could find. And in Washington state, I don't know how it is anywhere else, but there's this in-between piece of paper called an adoption information page. And it can, it looks like a birth certificate, but up near the top, it has a single line for the birth mother's name and the father's name. And so that's, so it's kind of like a hybrid between the two. So instead of just an original birth certificate where it's all, you know, supposedly the truth and then the amended, which is the adopted birth certificate, which supplants the birth parents with the adopted parents and their information, there's this thing in between that has everybody's name on it, which I thought was just kind of mind blowing. Yeah, when I finally nice. found mine years later. Um, but in, in my case, my so-called birth father, my biological father's name was nowhere to be found anywhere because um, even though my birth mother told them, she told the doctor, she told the whoever it was in the court, the judge, she told them who he was, they just left it blank. 
because legally they didn't have to put it down and it was just going to make things messier and you know there there could be ramifications if you put his name down because then do they have to notify him too you know she was trying to keep him out of the loop but at the same time she was honest so my biological father's name is not on any document that's so frustrating but it's not uncommon it, you know i talked to no not father. at all especially yeah. back then yeah my father's name is not anywhere in my documents right right and of course back then you know even if even if a, um, a man is named it doesn't mean it's the correct one true it could be that the woman is uh just it could be that if she was married if my birth mother had still been married even if they weren't living together if she had not been divorced for a certain length of time before i was born her husband's name would have been on my birth certificate because legally he would have been the father. Yeah. Even though they knew that he wasn't. But since she had been divorced for a while, long enough, there was just no father listed at all. Okay. So now the intermediary. But somehow his last name got on some of the records. Okay. So the intermediary, they eventually track down this adoption information page right. and your original birth certificate and your amended certificate but right. they're not allowed to tell you your parents right. names. right yeah the um the cis are they they can tell you what they're working on and if they have a good feeling or whatever if they're making progress but they can't tell you any identifying information so you've spent so, this money and they've found this information, but you have not been given any information at this point. That's so, so right. basically you paid them right. $175. And I, I knew that that's how it was. Yeah. Well, back then, um, one thing that was really great about pre-internet days was that we had wonderful support groups, search support groups. Uh, search and reunion and we they were everywhere they were all over the place and we would meet and we could just spill our guts and just tell everybody exactly how we felt about anything and everyone would be sitting around the table nodding they're all nodding because they know exactly what you're talking about and so that is what really got me through you know, when they couldn't find my records and I felt like I didn't exist, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and how everything was taking so long and how will I ever explain any of this to my adopted father and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They all understood and they all had my back. And, and so I, I never felt like they just took my money and now they're not telling me anything because I knew that they were working on it. Yeah, I knew that this is I mean, I signed the agreement. I knew they had to do it this way, because if they didn't do it this way, they would no longer have the cooperation of the courts. And that would mean nobody gets to search. You so know, then, we had to follow the rules. OK, so then 
at first totally jealous that you had support groups available. Uh, Yeah. Well, when, when this horrible pandemic is over, hopefully we can start having them again and you can find one. Oh yeah. I just, there were, there were none when I found out that I was adopted in my area, at least I I tried, there were plenty of adoptive parents support groups, but they did not welcome me. So, so first jealous. Mm -hmm. Second, I mean, I'm not really jealous. I'm happy for you because I think that yeah, that's yeah. so important. Okay, it's, we know, Andy. Okay, yes. I'm okay. actually, I'm actually over here, like sticking pins in my little little L voodoo doll. No, no. Ow! <laughs> Ow! Yeah. Stop. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll behave. But uh, so no, that's people. If you're listening, have a support group. They are crucial they are phenomenal they will save your sanity mm-hmm. they will keep you from last year discovering the adoption community kept me from losing my mind because mm-hmm. uh, last mm-hmm. year my adoptive mom died mm. I finally found out who my paternal family was and discovered that all the relevant people had died I uh, mm-hmm. it was a big year last year that so. was a tough year yeah you, so you really needed those support groups yes if, was- if you can find adoptee connect adoptees connect if you can find any of those and if you can't find one start one yeah because it's really it is really important to have people who understand you who can understand your frustration because while you may tell yourself well Elle was doing this decades ago Mm -hmm. it's not like this anymore right it depends on where you are located right you right. may still find that you have no right to any of your documents. You may right. still find that you have to go to court. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may find mm-hmm. that you run into, because what you encountered, wasn't it, was that the intermediaries finally did find your mother. Yes. But. Well, she needed um, a week. She needed a week to say yes. Okay. And a week when you're waiting for a yes, it's like I held my breath for a week. Yeah. I, it's ex- Why is my phone ringing? Make it stop. I like you. I'm sorry. I thought I turned off the ringer on my phone. Oh, no, that's okay. My phone rang during one interview. Another person's cats were fighting. <laughs> yeah, we've we've been through it. Okay. It stopped. We can okay. just cut that out of the cut that out of the interview later so no I don't know how to edit so that's not happening oh I'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) you don't have to apologize for my technical I'm sorry I can't help you (laughs) I could send one of my kids over it's like Um, nope this is real people this is real life you're not real life yeah so what happened was my first of all I just knew I knew in my soul, in my gut, in my spirit, however you want to say it, I knew that my birth mother was in Tacoma. And you would think, you might think, so what? You were born in Tacoma. (laughs) Well, the thing is, she came from Spokane, which is on the other side of Washington State. And there's this this big mountain range in between. Mm -hmm. And what people used to do in the olden days was go over the mountains to relinquish a baby 
and then run away back to the other side where nobody could ever find them. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So the thing is my birth mother came over here to the, to the other side of the mountains and she didn't go back. She stayed here because she felt like, what do I have to go back to? So she stayed. And the, while I was searching, you know, I would drive through Tacoma every day to, you know, go home from where I was going to school. And I just knew I could feel my mother was there near where I was driving. And I, and the closer I drove to it, the more I felt it. And of course, you know, my friends all said, ha, huh, that's great. You're crazy. But you know, <laughs> so, but what do you do? You know, I couldn't help it. I just, I just knew. And so when my CI uh, called me one night, um, she said, um, I found your mother. That had to be a big moment. For oh, you. it was a huge moment. And she said, I found your mother. And I said, does she still live in the north end of Tacoma? And I, I, I swear, it's like I heard the, her phone just fall on the floor. <laughs> because, you know, she's thinking, I'm sure she's thinking, did I tell her that? There's no way I told her that. I would not have told her. Oh, because she so she, So, you know, because it was true. I had been driving within, you know, a, two blocks of my mother's house for over a year. The entire time I'm searching, I had been driving past her house. Now, do you think that at some point in your life, you had crossed paths with your mother and... I don't yeah. know. And I, I still don't know. And it still bothers me that I don't know. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, we, when we finally met, we compared notes about all the places we could have possibly met. And I don't think we ever did, huh. but it just bothers me. It, that was, that was another compelling reason for me to search in the first place, because I thought I could, I could pass my own mother on the sidewalk and I wouldn't even know. And it just bothered me so much yeah. that that was something that made me search in the first place. Well, I can, I can understand that because I, I didn't know that I was adopted till I was in my thirties. Mm. But when I, when I found out, I discovered that I had been living for two years within a couple of hours of my mother, my grandparents, my mm -hmm. aunt, my uncles, my cousins, and mm. And the person who picked me up from the airport because my husband had duty for the day that I flew into um, Georgia to visit yeah. him mm -hmm. was one of my distant cousins. And I mm -hmm. didn't find out about it until, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago. Wow. So I've been married 35 years this year. So this was 35 years ago. Wow. Yeah. And That's so- amazing. Yeah. So I was like, wait a minute. I recognized this name when it popped up in my DNA test. Mm -hmm. went, oh. That's incredible. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. He was my husband's roommate at the. Oh my Italian. gosh. 
Yeah, but I didn't. I don't, I, I don't have any stories like that, at least. No. <laughs> well, but you could have easily encountered I, your mom. Well, you know, it just, that really freaks me out just to even contemplate it. I just, I really hope I never met her and didn't know because that that's too horrible to me. Yeah. So I just, I hope that I, I didn't, but you know, the very first job I ever had, um, an actual job, um, was at the Tacoma mall. And oh. one of the reasons why I got that job was to watch people because I kept looking for people who looked like me. See, and people don't seem to understand that I don't even think adoptees consciously a lot of the times realize that they're they're constantly looking and comparing no. and shifting through yeah. people and you know this person maybe they're related to me. It's true. It's true. I, I would look for anyone with, you know, brown hair and brown eyes who, you know, just kind of looked like me somehow. And it turns out I don't look like my birth mother. <laughs> so it wouldn't okay. have helped. Okay. Now, I, look, I look like my father. Yeah, I do too. I look like my mm -hmm. father. Mm -hmm. So now, okay. So you're, because Washington state has a disclosure veto, Oh, yeah. They had to get, and for anybody who doesn't know what a disclosure veto is or a redaction clause, this is where the intermediaries had to get Elle's mother's permission to release any of the information to Elle. So in many states that call themselves open access, they're not really because they have these disclosure vetoes. And you can right. go through the whole process, pay all the money. And if the person, your mother usually says no, then that's where it stops from a, yeah. from a legal perspective. Now, there's always DNA now. Right, right. Now, back then, or even now, um, if you're searching and you use an intermediary, um, it's not called a veto or whatever. It's, it's just, you have, you have to have signed consent. Okay. The person you're searching for has to give signed consent. When you fill out the forms, you write your signature and that is your consent. And then when they find the person and, or someone, and they are willing to, at least talk to you, they have to give written consent. So that way they, and all of the consent forms, copies of the consent forms are going to go with a report from the CI back to the county, the superior court where the adoption was finalized. Okay, so you're still in the process, like your mom, after a week, she signs the consent. Right. But that doesn't mean that you immediately get to have any information. It has to still go to the state to be processed. Well, back then, um, the CI, 
um, figured because she kept in contact with my birth mother, you know, it wasn't just a hit and run kind of a thing. She kept in contact with her, talked to her. And when she realized that my mother was willingly telling me anything I wanted to know, then the CI just put copies of my original birth certificate, the long form, which you can't even get now, um, the information, adoption information sheet, and uh, some, oh, uh, uh, <laughs> a copy of the marriage certificate for my biological father. Oh. That was just like a little cherry on top, you know, <laughs> it's like, because she figured, well, if your mother's already told you, you may as well have these. In fact, I remember her saying, these should be yours. Nice. And so she just mailed them to me. But the CIs almost never give the court documents. They don't give copies of the court documents that they have received because that's not part of the deal. That is supposed to stay with the CI and it will just be filed away. And it's not something that's released to the adoptee because it's just not. But you know what? I was fine with that. I wasn't looking for records. I was looking for my mother. Yeah. And I got my mother and I got all these documents that I didn't even know I was going to get. And so I was fine with that. But, you know, I understand even now people like they'll try to go to the court where their adoption was finalized and they go in there saying, you know, I want my records. And they're saying, well, you know, you need a court order. I can't help you. I can't just say, well, here they are. <laughs> you know, they, you've got to have a court order even now in 2021. And it was in 2014 that the uh, so-called, you know, it's not open records. It's just access to the original birth certificate. That is what's come available. Okay. And the birth mothers have that veto option which I hate. It should not be there. It never should have been even contemplated. But, um, and I am one of those people that went, went down to, you know, uh, the Capitol and protested and spoke and wrote letters. I wrote letters and emails to everybody imaginable about how this has got to be completely open. You cannot redact anything. You can't have vetoes. It just needs to be here's $20, give me my original birth certificate. But that's not the way it went through. Unfortunately, it got a little dirty along the way. And so now we have this veto that, you know, maybe 5% or less of birth mothers take advantage of. It's a very small number. But for those adoptees, it doesn't matter what a small number it is. It's Absolutely. a slap in the face. Yeah. And it's wrong. No one should have their original birth certificate kept from them for any reason. And you shouldn't even need a, a court order. It used to be you had to have a court order. You shouldn't need a court order. And you shouldn't have to resort to, you know, DNA testing to get these answers. 
but thank God for DNA testing. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. I, there was a comment that you made in our earlier um, conversation, though, that I would love for you to talk a little bit about um, as we get down to our last minutes here. So you told me what your motto was for last year. Would you like to share it? <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> well, um, people who know me in real life um, know that I'm a little sarcastic, but last year I was really, I had reached the end of my tether with a lot of people for a lot of reasons. And I was finishing up a five-year search for my paternal grandfather, who I did find. And I won't go into that because then I won't have a reason to write another book. Okay. But the, how I did it, how I was able to find out everything I did was I took up the motto, eh, what the hell? (laughs) And that pretty much steered my entire life that last year. And it wasn't just for my own searching it was for just everything. And it was for searching for other people, like if they wanted me to or not, such as for my adopted brothers. So I found out stuff. <laughs> I found out, I found all their families too. I, I found, I found everybody. And um, I also, uh, I got my uh, biological father's death certificate which was also five years in the making. Oh, congratulations. Because that's my my next endeavor. I opened up a bottle of champagne that night, let me tell you. And it was a big screw you Idaho kind of moment. So good for you. It did feel good. Yeah. So I have continued on pretty much with my what the hell philosophy. It continues on. But last year was really the banner year for it because that's when I just seemed to get everything all at once. Yeah, because you had a, you had tried again in 2017 to receive information, hadn't you? Um, yeah, in 2017. Oh yeah, I was I was trying. Let's see. I think it was in 2015. I think that I, yeah, 2015 was when I realized that the person who I thought was my biological grandfather was not. And so I started a quest at that point to figure out who my biological grandfather was, um, which is my bio father's bio father. And I don't know if my biological father even knew that the man who more or less raised him was not his father. I have no idea. I don't, I don't have communication with that side of the family. Okay. And you Um, only saw your father one time. Yes. There was one glorious time that I saw my father and Lynn Grubb loved this story. (laughs) So that's why it was included in her book. Um, and it's in that chapter is entitled funeral crashing (laughs) because that is what I did. And, um, it comes down to, you know, what are you willing to do? What 
as an adoptee, what are you willing to do to get the answers you want? And um, I had never met my birth father. I had had one non-conversation or exchange with him on the phone where he hung up on me. Uh, I don't think he knew who I was at that point. Um, and I heard, it was a strange series of events. It's all in my book, but it's a strange series of events which made me realize that he may have been coming to the area for a funeral for a funeral for someone on his wife's side of the family. And I thought, this is it. If I'm ever going to lay eyes on this man, this is when it's gonna happen. Because it's not like I was gonna, you know, go over to Idaho and stalk him over there. You know, maybe I would have, but probably not. So I went to a funeral, um, and it just worked out perfectly because I stood in the back. It was standing room only. And I stood in the back and it was a young man who had died. It was very sad. And I could see the back of everybody's heads. And so I started from the front and I decided, okay, that must be his mother. That's the father, that's the sisters. And I go back like two rows and I think, I think that's him. I think that's my father right there. And that's his wife sitting next to him, you know, cause he had really dark hair, like kind of like mine. And she was, you know, she had this beautiful blonde hair. And so I thought, well, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to see them? I mean, I'm way in the back and all of a sudden the person presiding over the funeral says, um, all right, now we're going to have uh, a receiving line uh, for the immediate family who will remain seated. And so we'll start with those in the back. Oh, wow. Okay. So I walk up to the front of the room where it's just absolutely jam-packed with people. And I express my condolences to these people I've never laid eyes on before for their son, who I do not know. And while I'm waiting for the people next to me, you know, to express their condolences, I look up to where I know that my father was sitting and he and his wife are looking at me like they're just in shock, like they're looking at a ghost because they know it's me and they know who I am. And I look probably more like my father than even any of my siblings. And so it was like he was looking at a young female version of himself. And they just, they just stared and we just stared at each, at each other for, I don't know, it seemed like a long time, but it probably wasn't. But it, then it was it, then it was over. You know, then I had to, you know, move along, shake hands walk out the door, get into my car, <laughs> go pick up my kids. And my, my birth mother was the one babysitting my kids. So that was, you know, I got to report back to her. She asked me, well, you know, how did he look? And I said, surprised. 
<laughs> I guess so. I just, how did that, had you seen pictures of him before you? Oh, saw- yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I knew. Yeah, I knew what he looked like because um, that's the beauty of your birth parents being teachers in a public high school. Oh, so he was in the yearbook. There you go. All right. Documents. And that is, you know, for those of you listening, yearbooks are another form of documentation mm-hmm. that we adoptees often have to resort to mm-hmm. in order to know what our parents and siblings look like. Right. Because we and often don't have the opportunity to get photos or to actually see right. them in the flesh. Right. And I was so lucky in the fact that my birth mother kept her yearbook because she didn't need to. She was a teacher. It's not like she was a high school student. She was a teacher for one year at this little high school in Idaho. And, but she kept it and she knew where it was. And so when I met her, she was able just to hand me this book. And so I, you know, I open it up and she said that she hadn't looked at it in all this time. So it had been like 21 years since she had looked at it. And so I finally find a photo of him where it's a can't like more like candid camera where he wasn't posing. And (laughs) I guess I get it from him. I cannot pose. I hate it. I hate having my picture taken. And if you want a good shot of me, it has to be a surprise. That's the only way it is. So here was a shot of it. You can tell someone just said, Hey, look, and they took the picture and I looked at that and I pointed to it and I said, there I am. And my birth mother, I remember we, this was the day we met. My birth mother said, what? No, you don't look anything like him. She's just like, I don't need you to look like him. I need you. Yeah, to she like did. She just could not even think about that. You know, that like, no, no, you don't. You're nothing like him. Nothing, nothing. <laughs> so it took a couple of years for her to finally admit it. Yeah. But yeah, a yearbook is a wonderful thing uh, if your biological parents were uh, teachers. Yes, I can absolutely see how that would be because for me the first photographs that I saw of my younger sister was in her yearbook Mm, and that's yeah that's how I you know we found her name in an obituary Mm -hmm. and then through the magic of the internet Mm -hmm. we tracked down the likely area that she went to high school it's you know it's the whole detective story of Mm -hmm. and and that's one of those things that I think about adoption files and adoption documents and the idea of what those are is expanding as I learn more about you know the process that so many of us have to go through Mm -hmm. and you know, if you're listening to this and you think, okay, this is how it works. If I want to get my documents, you really have to be aware of your state's laws where you were adopted or the country. Cause I wasn't adopted in this country. Mm. So you have to know the laws of the place where you were adopted. 
right. You know, we try to be careful on this podcast to say where a person was adopted from Mm -hmm. because the law in Idaho may be different from the law in Washington. So if you, yeah, so, Mm -hmm. and you're right, people traveled, uh, there was a lot of shame around having a child out of wedlock back in the sixties, seventies. Well, not even that long ago. Mm -hmm. So young women often traveled to other places to have their babies in secret. Right. My younger brother who was adopted, his mother traveled from Spain to England to give Mm -hmm. birth. Wow. Yeah. So that she wouldn't have to, well, because in Spain at that time, if you were not married and you were having a baby, uh, you couldn't get a job. You couldn't get an apartment. Right. You, yeah. So having a child in Spain, unmarried, it would have just completely destroyed her. Right. Yeah. Her opportunities. So, mm-hmm. so you really do have to do your detective work and we use this paper trail or this digital trail. Now, by the time you first saw your father you had photographs you had received your original birth certificate and your long form and your amended certificate I mm-hmm. uh, and your purpose you know was to find your your mother not yes. so much to have your documents but did the documents having those holding on to those did they make you feel like a real person? Yes. And I was surprised at that. I had my um, <clears throat> amended birth certificate, which um, you can't even get them anymore. Now in Washington state, starting sometime in the 1990s, I think it was, um, you now get a transcript. You don't get a photocopy, you just get a transcript of what's on your birth certificate. I'm talking about for anyone. So that's what you use to get a driver's license and get married? Yes, yes, it's stupid. It doesn't even, to me, it doesn't even look real. It looks like a computer printout, it's just dumb. But I have, because my adopted parents had it, I have my, my original amended birth certificate, which is, you know, a copy of the real thing that's housed in Olympia, Washington. And it even has a gold seal on it, which I thought was funny that, oh, it's all official. The physician signed it and has a gold seal. It's just that everybody's name on here is wrong. (laughs) Fancy falsified documents. Yes, Yes. But I still love it. You know, it's still, you know, it's still me. And yeah. then I have my original birth certificate with the, with the stuff that they cut out when you, when you ask for it now, when you ask for your original birth certificate um, and there's no veto, you get like three quarters of what's on the sheet and the part on the bottom is cut off or it's covered over before they make a copy. And that's because supposedly for HIPAA purposes, because it has things on there. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's crazy. What? Um, 
you're, you're like your weight because HIPAA you know is, okay for anybody who doesn't know what HIPAA is because you've never been to a doctor and had to sign yeah. <laughs> form, I at one point you could wallpaper your house with these forms because they gave right. them to you every single time if you don't know what it is it is a privacy act to protect your health information and it's mm-hmm. your health information right or say if you have a child who has become an adult, you no longer can access their health information because now it's their right. health information. So what I'm, what I'm, you said. Yeah, you're wondering are, how come I can't know my own weight? Because for some reason that is decided since I was the issue of the mother that that became part of her, her medical records. So you're still- being denied your autonomy right as right. an adult <clears throat> because you're still considered what they hadn't cut the umbilical cord yet i mean you know if you could actually explain this <laughs> i'm i mean i'd be happy but i don't think there is a way to explain it but the other thing that they'll cover up at the department of health is um the the nationality the color of of the parents because you can't look in a mirror yeah apparently yeah i don't know (laughs) you know my husband my husband has a background in um in the law and when i told him about the bogus open access laws he said well the your first problem right there is believing anything that the name of the law tells you. Mm-hmm. That's true. And he said, I can guarantee you that anyone writing these laws who's objecting to these different, you know, unfettered access stipulations, they've got, he's, he said they have a dog in that fight. Yeah. They have some personal vested interest. Mm-hmm in keeping things a certain way. And I don't know who decided that your weight and right. your ethnicity or race or however we're- Well, you uh, see, yeah, my race is on there, just not my mother's. Because that's protected by HIPAA. Right. But her name's there. Uh, and where she lived at the time. And you, and you've, received her permission well i didn't even need her permission when i um asked for it later on because i just wanted i wanted a copy just to kind of in solidarity with all the other adoptees in washington i thought everybody who can should ask for their original birth certificate so i got another copy i got another one for me and that was also part of my plot to get my good adopted brother to um get his original birth certificate so i could (laughs) plot (laughs) because i just he walked in one day and and i said here sign this and so he walks over and he signs something then he starts to walk away and he gets to the doorway and he says what was that (laughs) and i said oh that was just a a request for your original birth certificate oh okay (laughs) that's all that's all (laughs) and so i did another one for me to show him that, see, we're both doing it. It's fine. Okay. So, so yeah. unity, a unified front. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Or in, in his case, it's just another 
way that, you know, I just dragged him kicking and screaming through something, but it was for his own good. Yes. You're absolutely had his best interests at heart. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. So that's why I have, I have the full original birth certificate that my CI had from using a court order uh, through the department of health. And then I have the redacted version that I got, you know, uh, what, a few years ago, just for fun. Um, so I have both and I, and I have my, I have my amended birth certificate transcript because I couldn't find my other one. Um, and I have what I consider my fancy amended with the gold seal. So I have four. <laughs> okay. And we consider this progress people. Yes. <laughs> that, uh, that she's receiving less information now. Yeah. Right. Than she did years ago. Right. I, it's just bananas. So but I'd, I would like to, if I can, I'd like to encourage any adoptee who was born in Washington state. If you haven't started searching yet or whatever, but um, start with requesting your original birth certificate from the Department of Health, okay? And check all three boxes on the form and follow the directions, mail it in. It takes forever to get it back now, okay? While you're waiting, do 23andMe and Ancestry DNA. Do both if you can. If you can only afford one, do ancestry. And the reason why is because it's the biggest. That is the biggest testing site. You'll get more matches. And then if you do either one, or even if you already have, you can transfer the raw data from that test into MyHeritage, Family Tree DNA, and GEDmatch for little to nothing. And that way you'll be fishing in some little ponds along with your great big one. So yeah. you'll get more matches that way. Yeah, and this is excellent advice, everyone, because that's that is the way that a lot of us are are forced to uh, to go in order to find the answers. Right. That, that there, there is no hiding from DNA. Well, people should keep in mind though that if, if you came from a country where the tests are illegal. Right. Or if you come from a country where very few people have tested. Right. Or if um, you have come from a background where the family has a religious or philosophical objection. Right. To having DNA tests done. It may take. Five years. Yeah. It really can take (laughs) a long time. It may take five years. Or more, you know, I, it took me 22 years. I mean, that was not with DNA, but it took 22 years to figure out who my father was. Right. Uh, So just be, you just have to be patient and not give up. Right. Because new matches will show up and you may. And and if you, if you, uh, transfer to my heritage and do that test or just do it independently. Um, that is good if you have any Native American blood. And it's also uh, more popular, I believe, in Europe 
I think so. And, and then also um, living DNA. There's that one is one of the newer ones. And um, that's really kind of strictly a European blood kind of a thing. But I just, my advice is to do all of them if you can afford them. You know, if you have to do them one at a time, fine. Start with Ancestry, move that raw data into the, into the smaller ones. Do 23andMe when you can. Do living DNA when you can. Depending on where you're from, if they have another kind of DNA testing, say, in Asia, do it. You know, find other adoptees with your ethnic background who were adopted some, in a similar manner to you. Um, compare notes. Find out, you know, how they are searching or how they searched there there are so many groups out there now online that will help and they want to help yeah you don't have to do this all alone you don't have to invent this on your own there are people out there who will help you and then when you feel like this is never going to work then you need to take on the philosophy of what the hell and you just do it just do it you You just just make that phone call you just write that letter you just find that person you just do it and let me tell you I last year was just a huge banner year for me because I stopped caring what anyone's reaction was going to be that is how I dealt with it I just thought what if what if I die this year what if what if I die of COVID And then I haven't gotten all this done because I wanted to be nice. I didn't want to disrupt anyone. Well, screw that. I'm doing this for my children too. They needed to know who their grand, their great grandfather was. So I just did it. I'm really happy. I'm really happy that I did it. And if I had burned bridges, fine. I concur. I mean, everyone has to make their own decision about what they're willing to risk. Right. But life is finite and, and we do not have forever. And our, our families do not have forever. And you don't know what's going to happen until you try. And I will say now, one question I have seen online about DNA tests from Europe, in case we have any European listeners here, I mm-hmm. uh, ancestry tests are very hard to come by in some places. Now there are people who are basically engaging in like smuggling ancestry tests. Yes. So if you join some of the online forums, you can ask the question, you know, you can say I'm from such and such country and I can't get a test. What they've been doing is a person who travels will purchase the tests in another country, bring them back with them. And then the next time they travel, they take them and they mail the the test to be processed. If you mail an ancestry test from Europe, it's going to go to Ireland and you're going to wonder why hasn't my test popped up as being processed yet? I know it arrived in Ireland. The tests are actually forwarded from Ireland to the U.S. Right. So you you kind of have to factor in the extra time 
Mm -hmm. for you know transportation and right now with supply chains being backed up and the weather being wonky so uh you know Elle mentioned waiting and how a week can seem like forever be prepared mm-hmm. to to wait and it's just an unfortunate aspect of pursuing our documents of pursuing our dna results uh having people pop up with trees that we can utilize. You just have to be patient. Mm-hmm. And, it's hard, and but you have to do it. Yep. And what the hell is great advice? It's so freeing. Oh yeah. It's such a relief to just go, I refuse to let other people tell me what to think, what to feel, what to Mm-hmm. You know, and I refuse to take on the responsibility for other people's decisions. Amen. You know, I am not going to destroy someone's family. If there's turmoil in a family because of my appearance, that was not set in motion by me. That was set in motion by the people who chose to do the things that they did, mm-hmm. you know, decades ago. And then continued to keep those secrets or to, you know, not process their own trauma, their own uh, stuff. But, that's very true. Yeah. But that's not me. You know, Elle was not disrupting or destroying people. She was. I was shaking her. things up a bit. You what? I was shaking things up a bit, but I'm okay with that. And that's, yeah, no, I mean, it's true. We, we may be shaking things up, but we're not, we're not the destroyer of worlds. Right. I'm not, yeah, yeah, exactly. We're not trying to destroy anything. And I want to say on record that I love my family. I love my adopted family. I love my birth family. I, I love my ex-husband's family. Um, they're all my family and nothing is really going to change that. There's just that one guy that I kind of (laughs) scrubbed from the record as far as I'm concerned, but everybody else I'm good with. And it's, uh, it's not like I went searching because I was unhappy. I went searching because adoption is unnatural and weird. And I had to do this for me. And I continued to search and I wrote the book and I did all the DNA tests, et cetera, not just for my satisfaction. I did it for my children so that they would know who's who and um, mainly I wanted them to know what is wrong with mom anyway. And this way, you know, the book can kind of explain that. Why is mom like that? Well, here you go, kids. So they all have a better understanding of me now. And uh, I have no regrets. And, and I do sincerely, I love and respect my adopted parents. May they all rest in peace. And also my birth mother. Well, I am glad that you chose to share your story with us i'm glad that you you know continue to write and to uh, integrate all of the different parts of yourself into your narrative thank you 
And thank you for advocating for other adopted people. We need more people who are willing to, you know, write letters and because people are still being handed false birth certificates and still being denied access to mm-hmm. their documents even today. Mm-hmm. And as we've now, as we've gone over time a little bit, I'm going to have to have you back on here because just as a teaser for next time, I'm going to need you to explain the statement. Let us explain adoption to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. That so, could be for another time. Yeah. Yep, so I'm going to bring Elle back so yeah. she can explain to our audience how some non-adopted people in charge of stuff decided to explain adoption to her. Oh yeah. And then you can hear me explode. Mm -hmm. Okay. That'll everybody just be prepared. We'll all buckle up before that happens. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. This was great. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah. I always enjoy talking with you and I'm going to drag you back on here next time so you can explode for the audience. Fun. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.